Calling all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. What I have found is from my shamanic work and my own background is that people with Lyme disease are actually very bright lights. They come into this world as a bright light here to create a lot of change. And the actual manifestation of Lyme has a component of other beings trying to quiet them. This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker, One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the symptom tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 179 with spiritual functional medicine practitioner, Morgan Malis. Also, welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode, you will learn how neglecting the spiritual aspect of wellness can keep people from healing, the role trauma has on chronic health issues, and why the good guy versus the bad guy mentality is an easy way out if you apply it to health. Thanks, Aurora. As you all know, Lyme disease is an international problem, and each week we have listeners join us from all over the world. This past week, we've had listeners join us from Bangladesh to Japan and from Australia to Mexico. Also, a big thank you to all our longtime Lyme ninjas, Aurora, and I really appreciate you listening, and we'd also like to welcome all the new listeners out there. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. We're glad you tuned in. And this week, our top 10 tuning cities are... Starting at number 10 is Renton, Washington. Number 9, Austin, Texas. Number 8, Kansas City, Missouri. Number 7, Atlanta, Georgia. Number 6, Los Angeles, California. Number 5, Brisbane, Australia. Number 4, New York, New York. Number 3, Houston, Texas. Number 2, Olean, New York. And number 1, Plainfield, New Jersey. Congratulations, New Jersey. If you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, make sure to head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. And if you really like what we're doing, why don't you consider becoming a Lime Ninja patron? Just go to patreon.com and search for Lime Ninja Radio. You'll find us there. We're still hosting our weekly giveaway of uh, Dr. William Rawls' new book. And so far we've given away, I think, four of them. Yes. We still have a bunch to go, so 
head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com front slash win and sign yourself up. It's easy to join. Sign up for the, what is join? You don't want to join the contest. You sign up for the contest. Sign up for the contest. I have to make a confession here. We had a power outage last night. We usually do our recording Wednesday night. We're doing our recording very early Thursday morning to get this all out to you. So if we're a bit scattered, just forgive us. Anyway, so. Sign up for the contest. Yes. At LimeNinjaRadio.com front slash win. It couldn't be easier. Yes. (laughs) Roar, tell us a little bit about Dr. Rawls' book. Lyme disease is one of the most puzzling illnesses on the planet. Anyone who has suffered from its debilitating symptoms knows the frustrations of trying to find a cure. Many sufferers drag themselves from one doctor or alternative practitioner to the next, getting lost in a maze of lab tests, prescription drugs, and treatments. Thousands of dollars in months or years later, they realize they are no better off than where they started. Unlocking Lyme puts an end to this desperate quest. Written by Dr. Bill Rawls, a physician who overcame Lyme disease himself, this book is a comprehensive, practical resource full of solutions that work. For more information about Dr. Rawls, visit his website, RawlsMD.com. Thanks, Aurora. You read that so well. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and now why don't you tell us a little bit about this week's guest, Morgan Malis. Morgan Malis is a certified functional medicine nutritionist, researcher, celebrity wellness expert, and a medium. She has a private practice, which is based in the Los Angeles area. As a teenager, she was diagnosed with chronic fatigue, eating disorders, depression, and anxiety. After years of medication that didn't relieve her symptoms, she started on a path towards wellness that started with Dr. Klinghart and led her to creating her own practice, which combines a personalized approach, focusing on marrying state-of-the-art technological advances with ancient psycho-spiritual tools. Thanks, Roy. And here's our interview with Morgan Malis. Hello. Hello. I'm very excited to speak with you. Thanks for reaching out. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to speak with you too. Morgan, your website talks about functional medicine, but in really a different way than I've seen done before. And you talk about spiritual functional medicine. How did you get to a place of spiritual medicine? Oh, that's a great question. So my journey into more of a spiritual approach to functional medicine and medicine and healing really started when I was a fifth grader in school. So I think I was about 10 and I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue. I had been to many doctors who couldn't figure out what was going on with me. And then, you know, I was given that kind of catch-all label at the time, pretty much no one was talking about Lyme or uh, infectious disease related to the symptoms. And so I was kind of thrown into this label where there was no remedy and no resolve and just had to live with it. 
And I did live that way for many years. And I was put on lots of antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication and went through living with years of chronic pain and chronic fatigue and couldn't, could barely make it to school in high school, but I powered through. Uh, And, you know, most of us do, we make it look all good on the outside and get through the day and get through our lives. But on the inside, I was really suffering and uh, went through college the same way. And then toward the middle of college is when I started to really understand that I couldn't continue to live my life this way for the rest of my life on medication and feeling horrible all the time. And that's when basically I went down the rabbit hole and started studying about alternative medicine. I went into the dietetics program. I then was introduced to Dietrich Klinghart. And when that happened, my whole world changed. He's amazing, isn't he? Oh my gosh. Incredible. Genius, brilliant man. Absolutely. And a gift to our, to our world for sure. So how did he change your world? So what happened was when I started studying under Dietrich, it was in 2006 and he was the first one to introduce me to the idea that emotions, ancestral trauma, uh, traumas on the more esoteric levels, all were contributing to the physical ailments, which I had never been introduced to that concept at the time. And I was young. So a lot of it at that time was over my head. And over time, I started to integrate it more and more into my, my practice with clients and with myself. And so that's where the life-changing experiences have come from is really in experiencing the manifestation of doing the deep work, the work that most of us don't want to do or leave to the last, you know, we're in, we're in the basement, we're at the lowest point of lows. And finally we say, okay, to that place. And, and that's where the, the amazing miracles come from. I've seen it time and time again. And it, it's just in every single time someone has, a big breakthrough, it is, breaks my heart open. It's amazing. So do you have an example for yourself or for a client that obviously can talk about anonymously to kind of give some meat yeah. to those bones? Absolutely. So I'll talk about myself first and then I'll share some client uh, experiences. So for myself, what happened was that I started to learn about emotional presence. I have two daughters who are nine and seven years old. And what I started doing a parenting practice that was called hand in hand. And the premise of this approach to parenting is allowing children to emote and have their feelings while staying present with them. It's not permissive parenting, because it doesn't mean that if my daughter is hysterically crying about an ice cream and she already had an ice cream, she's not going to get another one. I'm going to give in. But what it means is that if she's crying about the ice cream, I stay present with her while she has her tantrum and she kicks and screams until she's complete. And what usually happens is 
after the completion of her getting all of her feelings out, what she comes to me and says is, you know, mommy, my friend at school really hurt my feelings. It's not usually about the ice cream. And this is true of adults as well. And through this process of parenting my children, I realized that I was being hypocritical, that I was, I needed to reparent myself because I wasn't allowing myself to feel my emotions. I was shutting them down, pushing them down, pushing them away. And really, this is what we learned from our parents because they didn't know. They taught us that there were parts of us that were lovable and parts of us that were not lovable, which is conditional love, right? And they taught us that if, yeah, exactly. They taught us that if we were showing emotion that they didn't perceive as lovable, like a tantrum, go to your room, hide out, don't come back to me until you put that feeling on the shelf, until you hide it away. And so what happens is we relegate that emotion to the shadow aspect of us. It doesn't really go away. It just goes into the shadow part of us, the part that's not lovable, the part that we hide from ourselves and from the world. And then it controls us like a puppet from the behind the scenes, from the shadow. And those suppressed emotions, when, they, when they're dissociated into soul shards or just suppressed into our, our bodies, they manifest in the physical body as disease. And so through this work of reparenting myself, I have reached levels of health that I, I didn't have when I was a child. My energy is good. I sleep well. I have no more joint pains. My weight has totally equalized. All my hormones are normal. Like everything that I was dealing with on a chronic level that I was taking tons of supplements for that I was trying to address with being a little OCD about, you know, rebounding and, you know, all the things that we do going to the saunas, you can do all those things. We can do all those things and they're great for us. And if we address the higher levels, we don't have to be as crazy about those other things because our body works in unison with us. We create coherence and it's really, that is, it's, it's, it's beautiful work. In addition to, of course, the self-love that we create from this process where we start to love all the parts of us and then you know the manifestation in our lives of abundance of love and abundance of friends and abundance of money and it really is all integral it's all related you're speaking my language actually (laughs) i'm a five element acupuncturist by training and this, oh, uh-huh. this, yeah, exactly. Go, oh, okay. This is at the core <laughs> of really the, the old, old acupuncture. It's kind of, they sorted it out and tried to make it more Western during the communist regime in the 50s. So that this part was stripped out. But in, if you go back to the old texts, they don't separate out between the emotions and the body and the mind. It's all just one, one big, happy. <laughs> manifestation of energy. And the other thing that's interesting, and I'm sure you run across this too. I used to, I used to ask patients, so how's the stress in your life? And people would say, ah, it's pretty good. And then you'd go on and then 
deeper into the conversation about their story. They said, oh, yeah, you know, my uh, daughter is uh, just uh, enrolled in rehab and is, you know, detoxing from heroin. And my son's just about to be paroled. He was in jail for fighting. And I've just had to put my mother in a nursing home, you know, and you say, well, wait a minute. I thought you didn't have any stress in your life. And they say, oh, but I'm dealing with it fairly well. Which means they're they're not in a puddle. Totally. Yeah, they've totally suppressed it, right? They're not in a puddle on the floor. Totally dissociated from everything. Exactly. 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 So I've stopped asking those questions. Which is how people are walking around. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, people are, that's how majority of people are walking around in our world to cope. It's a coping mechanism. There's nothing, I don't see it as bad. It's what we do to survive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not optimal. (laughs) to say the least right it it may work for a short period of time because you have to do x y and z right you have to get through a certain period Mm -hmm. of time but then life is so busy we don't go back and finish the the healing or the emoting that needed to happen animals you know if you have a dog you know the dog doesn't wait to express its joy it's fear, it's uh, anger, whatever is in the moment, the dog's going to express it. Human beings, we can put it on pause. And I think in a slower time, maybe we had ways to go back and re-access those and express them. Maybe listening to a play that was performed in your parlor or around the campfire or telling stories. And so those things had a way of working them way out. Or maybe that's just always been the human condition that we put them on pause and, and never really kind of healed them up. Um, but it's like that's, that's the danger that we have. Those, we don't think those, that stuff creates stress. But an animal, an animal constrained... And this is one reason why they have to feed tons of antibiotics to chickens and cows and whatever's constrained in these factory farms is because they're stressed out of their minds, whatever minds they have. They're stressed like crazy because they can't physically move true. when they have some, they need to respond to something, whether it's joy. I've had patients come in who are sick because they're overjoyed, whether it's joy or whether it's fear or whether it's anger, they're, they can't move their bodies. And when you can't move your body, whether because you're physically constrained or constrained by a disease like Lyme disease or that you've put it on pause because if you expressed your emotion at that period of time, you'd lose your job, then it creates problems down the road. You're totally right. And it is true. So when we experience trauma, most of the time, the majority of the trauma that affects us for the rest of our lives is our traumas that happen as children. And that could be a birth trauma that could be a simple trauma from just being removed from the breast. Uh, you know, it could be small, it could be large, it could be sexual trauma, all, the whole gamut. But the truth is that animals, when they experience trauma, they physically shake off the trauma. If you think of like an antelope that's running in the desert from a lion, if they escape, they will physically shake for a period of time. And we don't do that. We stuff it down. We eat, we do whatever we can to cope because if we show the trauma to our parents when we're younger, they might not take care of us. They might not feed us. They might not want to hear what we have to say. And that's our survival technique. So we push it down and then you're right. We don't come back to do the work. But in, if you look at shamanism or you look at the first people, they all had techniques like you're talking. 
sitting around the fire, the alchemy of the fire, the energy of the fire, there's a spirit there and it transforms or drumming. There's so many different techniques. It's not just like plant medicine. There's, that's one modality, but there are tons of tools to do this work. Let me ask you about something because this has been in front of mind recently. So I hear what you're saying about all the emotions. I think particularly in our culture, American culture, that we're really, really bad. We're bad at all the emotions, but we're really, really, really bad at grief. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you see? Um, because, and that's one of the things that happens with, especially if you're wheelchair bound or bed bound, or even just the chronic fatigue that comes with something like Lyme disease, you lose, you can lose everything, relationships, your job, mm-hmm. some people lose family. And there's this event, you lose yourself, you know, mm-hmm. the, the ability to do what you used to be able to do. And then this grief, we, again, we kind of plaster over. We got to keep a positive attitude to keep on going, right? Where do you see grief in this process? Well, that's a really wonderful question. If you look at grief and you just listen to the words that you use to describe it, loss of family, loss of friends, loss of job, what are all those things to us? They're our identity, right? So an identity and it's, truest form really is ego so people are experiencing an ego death in that time and oh the ego (laughs) the ego is very cunning and and very powerful and therefore reason in certain times but i think that our biggest work in this reality in our human bodies and in this being is to quiet the ego not to kill it, not to get rid of it, because we need it in order to be separate in this world, walking around in a human body, but to not let it control us from the background. And so that I think is one of the biggest pieces in any kind of illness or dis-ease is that we're losing the picture of what we thought we were. We're losing what we thought our lives were and who we are and what we allowed to give us meaning and then the gift is to find the meaning in us inherently without all those things the external and that is big work really deep work it's not easy (laughs) and i think no we don't get there in a short period of time it's really a lifetime of work and speaking with people who have had very serious Lyme disease and have begun to come out the other side, they all talk about this moment where they embrace themselves, their situation, uh, the power that they do have. There's some acceptance, there's some embracing that happens that that moment gives them a place to stand on. It's not that the effort and struggle ends at that point, but they stop being a victim somehow. They stop just waiting for someone else to come and rescue them. They stop waiting for some magic to happen. And they really begin to take control. And it's it's a subtle thing because it's not as if they weren't doing anything. Like they were just sitting on the sofa watching reruns of I Love Lucy. They're actually doing a lot of work. <laughs> but there's something different when 
and I, I, you probably have better words for it. When that moment happens, this 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 spiritual shift, this fundamental shift, this ontological shift, where they feel empowered by a choice that they make. Well, you're absolutely right, and it is from uh, most people, it's the reframing of of seeing themselves as the victim, like you said. And so if you look at, there's this concept of villain and victim in our world. And most people But wait, that's what it is. And see... clearly the bacteria is the villain. It's really simple. <laughs> Just kill the sucker. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. It's that's a bad guy. Think, right. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what we're looking at. And as soon as we make the bugs the bad guy, we are in the vill- uh, victim role. And, and our, our society perceives villain, villain as a negative. So there's a negative connotation around that term and that role. Victim, on the other hand, feels like you're, it's, it's softer, there's more space for it. Really, people don't want to be the villain, but they're happy to be the victim. And there's many reasons for that. One reason is ancestral issues that we carry forward. The other issue obviously is just the collective consciousness. So the meaning that we give these words, these roles, it might not be ours, but we take it on from society, right? And so if we look at the societal level of villain victim, if there was Batman running around in his car and there was no, (laughs) seriously, no Joker, then he would just be going to McDonald's, checking his Facebook, doing his thing, and there would be no story. But as soon as you add the villain, there's the story. And that's the truth of us, too, that once we can take responsibility for our lives and reframe everything, every challenge, as really a gift of growth and opportunity, even in the rough and I don't know if I can swear, but I want to say like the rough effing times where you're white knuckling through it. When we get out the other side and we can see it as a gift, that will totally changes our lives. And we're no longer at the mercy of the bugs or the toxins or society or the drug companies or any of these other things. Instead, we're here part of this story to experience this for us. It's not happening to us. It's happening for us. And it is a big aha moment for a lot of people that I see in my office when they finally start to take responsibility. And it's hugely empowering when they do that because then they're not sitting around at the whim of whatever else is going on to them. They're able to be proactive and say, no, I'm taking back my sovereignty. I'm taking back my power. I'm taking back my life. And that really is, I think, for most people, they don't get there until they hit rock bottom, unfortunately. But when they do and they come back up, their whole life changes. There's something you said in there that reminded me, I'd forgotten about. Almost all of these people who I've interviewed say what you said, and that is they Thank, they say, this sounds really weird, but I'm really kind of grateful I had Lyme disease. <laughs> and oh my gosh, yes. Right? And they're not thankful, you know, they don't really particularly like the suffering that they went through, but the transformation coming out the other end and shedding 
the illusion, the past, all the pain, the things that were holding them back has really made them into a better person. And like you said, it's, it's takes, unfortunately it takes hitting bottom, um, in some way. So may, maybe the secret is right. to is to have a, a high bottom. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the hero's journey. You know, Joseph yes. Campbell, this is the hero's journey. This is going through the dark night of the soul. And when we can see it from that perspective, you're right. It's we have we can have gratitude for the journey. Just as an aside, we've had inter- past interviews about literally about the hero's journey. And part of the reframing, oh. <laughs> yeah, part of the reframing that's suggested is that the in the beginning, many people's uh, story, the doctor is the hero, or the antibiotic, or the herb, or some somebody else is the hero. And once they claim the hero role for themselves, and really move those tools and those people into guides and signposts along the way on their journey, then, then all of a sudden there's some more, they feel in control. And again, things may go up and down. It may not be a, an easy path forward, but they're the one leading the charge. They're the one guiding the ship. They're the one choosing the path. And simply having a choice in the matter uh, can, can make an immense difference. There's an there's amazing study that was done kind of back in the early days of automation and uh, factory work. And they're trying to, you know, what's the optimal setting to that people will produce the most widgets? And what they found was that it was simply giving people a say in their surroundings that they would produce the most widgets. So if you got a little meeting, everybody said, let's turn the lights up, they produce more widgets. And then after a while, if you have another meeting, they say, okay, let's, you know, we need a little bit more air conditioning, they produce more widgets. So having choice and having some sense of power is amazing. And and the second part of that, sorry, I'm... You got me all excited here. The second part of that is <laughs> we find in heart disease one of the main kind of social, econ- not economic, but social parts of having heart disease is people who feel stuck and not in control of their lives and their hearts break because they don't feel empowered. Right. And emotional toxins are the poison of chakras, right? It's not just the physical poisons, it's the emotional poisons. So what do you mean by an emotional poison? So just talking about, you're talking about heart disease, and it reminded me of the heart chakra, that the energy that comes, emanates from the heart chakra that we, it's prana or chi, there's many different terms for it. But we, when we have the emotions that are stuck, and there are certain emotions that associate with each chakra, then that will manifest in reducing the amount of energy that we come that comes through that chakra, and then the physical organs associated with that chakra will be affected. So it's all the levels, the five levels of healing are all about relating the different levels of the metaphysical level to the physical level and how it manifests in the physical, right? Because our bodies are just uh, projections of our higher bodies, of our more etheric bodies. So is the emotional poison the emotion itself? Is it our inability to deal with it? Is it pushing it, as you said, to our shadow side? Where does the poison come in? 
Well, when I'm talking about poison, I'm referring to dissociation or suppression of emotions because as far as I'm concerned, there's no emotions that are bad emotions. There's emotions that feel good and there's emotions that don't feel so good. But at the end of the day, we are meant to have the full spectrum. And there are people who never get angry. And I was one of those people. And when you just never tap into anger, it means that there's some aspect of you that's totally suppressing it because you made meaning about that emotion when you were younger. Maybe you saw mom being really angry and people didn't want to be around her. So you said, I'm never going to be that. So that becomes part of the shadow. So being angry all the time, obviously, can be very toxic for a person. But being angry never is also toxic. So it's really about balance in every way. And I think you probably are well aware of this in the work that you do, that the, the extremes, the always and never are really where a lot of illness and discomfort comes from. But when we're in balance and we're in allowing, allowing the flow of emotion, and usually the emotion without the story isn't painful. But it's because we attach so much story to feeling the emotion that that's where the pain comes from. And that's when we stew in it and we sit in it and it controls us. And so that's what I'm talking about, about the poisonous, toxic emotion. Very well said. I had, uh, well, the Chinese medicine, anger is associated with growth. So if you don't have any anger, you don't mm -hmm. have any growth. And I had a patient come exactly. in once and it was very clear that she was angry with her son. Their relationship was not going well. And I said, you sound like you have a lot of anger. And she says, oh, no, I've given up anger. I don't do anger anymore. <laughs> I said, tell, tell you what, I have, a, I have a challenge for you. I want you to go buy some cheap plates. She lived on a, in, a, in a country setting. I said, I want you to walk deep into the woods behind your house, and I want you to smash the plates. That's all you need to do. That was right. homework. So she comes back the next week. And she said, well, did you do your homework? Yeah, I did. So, you know, kudos for her for doing the homework. And what, what was your experience? She said, well, you know, I felt really stupid for about the first three plates. And then I really got into it. And I was shocked at how much anger I had. It's like, good for you. Wow, that's wonderful. It's true, because when you look at the vibration of emotions, hopelessness is below anger and then anger is actually an improvement in vibration because there's some movement there's some motion if you look at anger it's really powerlessness and then when you get into motion around it it's anger so there really is benefit to all of this that we have access to and it's really our judgment that we put on it that can that can shut it down now, you work with people with Lyme disease. So given we've had this amazing conversation about emotion and the spiritual functional medicine, you kind of we dipped our toe into that arena. What do you see with people with Lyme disease? What have you learned? Well, so I do a lot of esoteric work with people and I try to meet them where they're at. So some people come to me and they only want to work on the physical level. And I will try to slowly move them into um, uh, the other realms. And what I have found is from my shamanic work and my own background 
is that people with Lyme disease are actually very bright lights. They come into this world as a bright light here to create a lot of change. And the actual manifestation of Lyme has a component of other beings trying to quiet them, trying to dim their light. And so that's really the highest level. And at that level, the techniques that I have found that work are shamanic tools like plant medicine and spiritual tools like reclaiming your sovereignty. And those are include and uh, involve revocations, invocations, working with elementals from the earth, working with fire spirits and things like that, and really learning about our own sovereignty as a being that we have the power to take back our health and to take back our well-being and to be the shining light that we are meant to be here. And this, this work is actually, um, has been taught to me by a phenomenal teacher. His name is Andrew Bartsis. And he teaches, he, uh, he calls himself the galactic historian <laughs> and he teaches it. His his soul, what you know, this might be a little out there for a lot of people. Yeah, so I can there. totally right. understand. But I'm gonna go because because it might reach one or two people that I think it might help. And and the idea is that his soul went to the ends of creation to watch creation happen. And this is not a religious approach. This is really a spiritual approach. So it can apply to all religions or all belief systems. And what he teaches is in his experience of watching creation happen was that we as humans are currently in a reincarnation state of karmic debt. And that means that when we die, we are going through these fake soul reviews and then we reincarnate into the same karmic debt that we had before instead of moving forward. And so the process of reclaiming our sovereignty as a being is really saying, I am infinite. I am one with spirit. I don't need anyone else to tell me what I can and cannot do because I am an infinite being. And reclaiming that and saying, I am no longer going to reincarnate into the karmic debt system. A lot of this, all these diseases, especially Lyme, are from the karmic debt system. They're from our ancestors. They're from our DNA. Our DNA is 80% memories. And some people believe in past lives. Some people don't. And, and, and my, pers- my personal viewpoint is that past lives do affect us. And they affect us in, uh, even at the DNA level. And so when we're dealing with all these methylation issues and these uh, SNPs and, and mutations and things like that, really when we do the higher level work, it changes on the genetic level as well. And so, you know, this is the incorporation of all the five levels into an approach where we see the, the biggest bang for your buck and the fastest remediation of physical symptoms, which has been incredible. You know, I want to rewind a little bit uh, and highlight what you said about people with Lyme disease being bright lights. Mm -hmm. And 
it's been my experience so much in speaking with people with Lyme that they are some of the smartest people, they are some of the most compassionate people, and generous. And many of them, when they feel better, want to give back in some way. So they get into healthcare themselves, they found, they start foundations, they figure out ways to raise money for people with Lyme. They do all these amazing things. And that's, it's, I would never quite put it in the way that, that you did, uh, but it's, it's a beautiful way of understanding it. Now, let's then fast forward a little bit and talk about some of these ideas, because I think what you're communi communicating is important, but it's for people who don't speak the way that you speak, or maybe believe what you believe, it's a little hard to wrap my mind around. So let me... I totally get it. Yeah, but but this whole ideal of claiming your sovereignty, we talked about that, you know, in terms of a little bit the hero's journey, uh, being the one who is guiding your own life, being, you know, being in charge rather than being the victim. Uh, but then this whole idea of DNA being a memory... So what do you mean by that? So the metaphysical level, looking at DNA, 80% of our DNA is actually memory. And then the 20 remaining percent is from experiences in this lifetime. So that's where the trauma gets stored. That's where our ancestral issues get stored. Are you familiar with constellation work, Bert Hellinger's work? No, I'm not. Okay. So let me share a little bit more about that so you can, because I think this will help to understand it. Bert Hellinger uh, does something called family constellations, where people stand in for members of the family. And it could go, most of the time it goes back around three generations, but it could go back seven generations, especially people with Holocaust family uh, experiences. And what happens is that the traumas that our families go through get stored in the DNA that gets passed down to us. And so our, it's called a DNA skin suit, our body. It's on the metaphysical level. And, and this is what we inherit. So when we're talking about inherited mutations or things like that, it's really, if you look on the higher levels, it's the memory that was embedded into our ancestors that gets passed on to us and it manifests in the physical, in the, in the genes, obviously. You know, that's so amazing. So it's, in some ways you're talking about epigenetics. That's one way to begin to understand. Yeah, it is. It is an aspect of epigenetics. Absolutely. Yes. This, this is yes. so funny because on my mom's side, so going back generations, uh, they, they were a minor, uh, in Italy, they, they were a minor uh, royalty and they had estates and mm -hmm. they lost it at some point. And it's so funny because somewhere in mm -hmm. this, through her family and in, into me, it's this whole idea of that money is just around there somewhere and you really don't have to worry about making it because it's always there. And so my, ab oh. my ability <laughs> to generate money is a little bit lacking from time to time because it's just not, it just not front and center. And it's funny that it's like once I heard that, you know, my family had an unclaimed estate in northern Italy that was, you know, taken for taxes at some point. It's like it made all kinds of sense. It's like, oh, my God, 
I'm a, you know, I'm a prince, a lazy prince who's enjoying the fruits of somebody else's labor. Like that's, that's the conversation that's been passed on. Yeah, absolutely. And that can manifest in uh, what we, what we now call self-sabotage. So if my grandfather um, unlawfully made a lot of money and never was held accountable for that, I may be someone who can never earn money to pay back the debt of my grandfather, the karmic debt, the, the balance. There's also a dynamic where if there was one parent that we could overtly align with, but one parent we couldn't overtly align with, we will covertly align with them. So for some people that looks like a father maybe was overweight or ill. And so we, also have that same that same attribute um it could look like uh anger and rage if my mother had a real issue with anger and rage but i was always a daddy's girl i may manifest in those those attributes in order to align with my mom who i couldn't overtly do do that with and it goes up the line i mean if there was um in the Holocaust, if this is a big one, the the both the victims. So, if I have a family member who was murdered in the Holocaust, the murderer becomes part of my family constellation. And what we do is we look at and resolving the energy of that and creating completion around that. Uh, if someone was maybe schizophrenic and was and out uh, ostracized by the family or, or basically ignored by the family, then we, our children may take on the schizophrenic personality disorder to show us that we need to look to the person that we did not include in our family. So there's all these different incredible dynamics that we're doing subconsciously and we have no idea how much it's again back to our power that once we start to look at these dynamics and start to create some completion around them and do the work that our ancestors couldn't have done okay then that's when things start to get better (laughs) (laughs) exactly and i'll give you one example okay go ahead give you one example real quick just to solidify it a little bit so it's a little more grounded so um we we were working with uh, some we were working with a child with who was on the spectrum, and uh, he was about five and he was nonverbal, and we were working with him for probably about two years, and there was some improvement but not huge, and then we sent the parents to family constellation, and within a week the child began speaking. No way. Because the child was, I know, and it gives me chills to talk about it right now even, just to think about it. The child was creating a space for the parents to look to the completion that their ancestors didn't get. Some, some people won't believe this, but, but I believe that no matter what we're energy and whether we're alive in a physical body or not, our energy is still in the universe our energy is still there somewhere and so even when we pass on if there are things that are incomplete there's some aspect of the soul that still wants to complete it 
And so this child was giving the gift of these ancestors, the looking to the ancestors saying, I know that you still need completion around this and showing it to the parents. And then the child was able to re release it once it was completed. There is, I want to make a little analogy here because this is, I'm sure, new for a lot of the people listening. We have lots of interviews about kind of DNA and supplements and herbs and really kind of the hard medicine kind of thing. So getting off into this, I'll use your word, esoteric area uh, can at once seem laughable or confusing or both. But I just yeah. want to remind people, it's like before you knew about Lyme disease, so Lyme disease is a lot like Alice in Wonderland going through the looking glasses. Like once you realize that there are these stealth bacteria, you start seeing them everywhere. You know, and you hear these funny little stories and you just know in, the, in, in your heart, it's like, you know, you should really check yourself for, for Lyme disease. You may have a stealth bacteria in there somewhere. And so mm -hmm. this is one of those areas. It's like on the other side of the looking glass, you're, you're listening so Morgan here speak about this stuff and you're saying, well, you're either buying it or saying, well, maybe this is just a, a bridge too far. But from where mm -hmm. she's standing, going, she's crossed the bridge. She's gone through the looking glass. There's all these, this power now because she has put her hands on one of the mechanisms that keeps us from healing or growing or, or both. And uh, I mean, maybe healing is growing. Uh, so, you know, just, just, you don't have to fully embrace it, but put us, you know, take your skepticism, give it a nice pat on the head, give it a hug and just put it aside for a moment that maybe if you're really stuck, that maybe there's something outside your awareness that's causing you to be stuck. So I'm going to, I'm going to put a plug here for Morgan and her approach to try something new because once when you're inside totally the ketchup true. bottle you can't read the label it's totally true and this is confronting for most people i would say um, majority of people are good you know get scared by this because it's a really big idea uh, that we've never heard of and it is new frontier and the good news is that even though we're in the new frontier there's a lot of science that's coming to fruition to back it up, to make it more believable. Because I know that people, we live in a science-based world where people don't really believe anything until they see the facts and the figures on paper. We, we are, we're about math and we're about the numbers and we live in a lab concentrated medical industry where it's all about the labs and the numbers. And so now the HeartMath Institute and Bruce Lipton's work, and there are just so many scientists now that are coming out in the quantum field, in the quantum world, that are showing the, the hard science around what spirituality is saying and has been saying for a long time, but we're now just catching up with the science. And there always has to be, you know, there's always gonna be something present to be studied before we actually do the studies. So this is the this is the forefront of the new way of medicine, I believe, which is a quantum theory around medicine, which is looking at these higher levels to create the health and the life that we want in a way that's more elegant, more streamlined, easier, 
it's not easy to do this deep work. And at the same time, it is easier because it's not spending thousands of dollars and looking, going everywhere else other than internal for the answers. This is really going inside for the answers. Morgan, you have been incredibly generous with your time. I want to thank you very, very much <laughs> and give you the last word. And please, in doing that, let us know where we can get hold of you. If somebody wants to continue this conversation, say, oh, my goodness, maybe it is grandma um, and wants to really ex explore uh, th this aspect of things, this spiritual functional medicine. How can people get hold of you? Yes, I would love to chat with people. And my website is morganmellis.com. It's M-O-R-G-A-N-M-E-L-L-A-S.com. And you can reach out to me there. And I'm always happy to chat with people if they have questions or want more information. And it was so lovely talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. You're very, very welcome. This was a really interesting episode, and I, I just want to say something. The things that she's saying, the things that she's talking about, aren't new concepts to Lime Ninja Radio. Like, when like she was talking about how she was talking about Lyme disease, how she was saying, you know, they're bright lights that have gotten covered by something. I was kind of getting... I was kind of getting chills because it sounded, it reminded me so much of what Dr. Bob Miller says, or Mr. Bob Miller, I should say, says about folks with high glutamate and how he sees so many people who are, who would be so high functioning and so amazing if they did, weren't getting covered with this, with this disease. And so she's made it metaphysical, but the concepts she's talking about have been discussed on Lime Ninja Radio before, just taking different angles. You know, we have taken a metaphysical turn these past few episodes, and the next one also will be in this realm too. And I know some people don't quite buy into it 100%, and really it gets into a field from the scientific point of view, that psychoneuroimmunology. So that basically means that uh, what's going on in your head and your heart influences your body's ability to stay healthy. And it's really that simple. And if we do have a stressor that's an emotional stressor, see, human beings are unique. We can be stressed by things in our head. A dog isn't stressed by its thoughts. Rusty, the rescue dog, just is, right? If you have a dog at home, your dog just is. It can be stressed by things occurring around it, but it's not upset about because of what it's thinking or, or thoughts about itself. It doesn't have that kind of awareness. So this part of us is very important to tend to at times. Sometimes that can be the missing link. So I encourage you, especially if you're a little bit skeptical, to just give it a little bit of an open mind. You don't have to buy into it 100%, but just give it a, a hearing and uh, just have a look. Maybe there is something there that's preventing your healing that's not on the physical side or the nutrition side. All right. If you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, 
please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. If you really like what we're doing, consider becoming a patron patron of Lime Ninja Radio. I get it confused with Patreon, which is the website. I want to say both. Uh, so head on over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And just search for Lime Ninja Radio. You will find us there. You can make a donation at a $3 level or a $10 level. Every little bit helps us keep Lime Ninja Radio cruising along every week. And if you sign up at the $10 level, we will forward you our top 10 transcripts. Yes, the Lime Ninja top 10 transcripts are the concentrated wisdom of three years of podcast episodes featuring experts like Dr. Richard Horowitz, the real food rebel Brenda Constantino, and the genetic nutrition expert Bob Miller. Thanks, Aurora. And if you have any feedback for us, good, bad, or ugly, please send it to feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you don't know your Lime score yet, do yourself a favor. Head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com front slash tracker and fill out the Lime Ninja Symptom Tracker. It's free. And last, the Midcoast Lime Conference is April 28th at the Augusta Civic Center. It's free. I'm going to be the MC. They've got many, many workshops, keynote speakers, dozens and dozens of vendors. It looks like the food menu is pretty good. So come on up to Maine if you're anywhere close and come visit us. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know... When a ninja wears a mood ring, the ring doesn't say happy or sad. It says ninja. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.